0: Welcome to second service today, glad you're here. Uh, didn't Jeff do an awesome job last week? Oh my God, what a powerful message. Today I'm going to be speaking about the parable, the uh, tale of two fathers. And you think, well, the story really is about the tale of two sons. And uh, in a way you'd be right. You've got the prodigal son, you've got the young son, and the older son, the older son. I want to go to the scriptures here. These parables you've heard the last couple of weeks, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost, uh, the prodigal son, all these, this story was meant to be told all together. It was one long parable with three sections. I'm going to share the last part today, the parable of the lost son. And I'll be sharing what I'm reading from is Luke uh, 15 11. Jesus continued there. Was a man who had two sons. What has prompted these stories? What is uh, one Sabbath when Jesus uh, went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. There in, in front of him was a man suffering. Uh, I backed up too far. The, the, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. It's in chapter 15. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners to eat with them. Jeff talked about the Pharisees were now in the process. The religious people were backing off. The sinners were moving in. Uh, Jesus was sharing something about the Father God that was causing sinners to gather. At the same time, it was repelling the religious people away. So it brings us, I'll go back to the lost son. Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, I want you to remember that, give me my share of the estate. So he divided, not his inheritance, his share of the estate, the land. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger man got together all that he had and set off to a distant country There swandered his wealth in wild living, after he had spent everything there was, a uh, a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who uh, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to be filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out to go and go back to the father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back. He started off with asking that it be given. He said, Give me. Now, he says, make me. He was a little better off, but he still didn't understand. You've basically got one son in the story saying, give me, and the other one saying, make me. Uh, but while, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. I'm going to stop right there. This story is one of those stories you've heard a bunch, a bunch of times, I'm sure. Uh, I come across an article uh, later... This week, and I I wanted to share it with you. The the reason I call it the tale of two fathers, there there came to be a, a period of time where people lost their vision, their understanding of who the father was. They didn't understand who the father was. And a lot of times, Jesus would say, Your father is the devil. Your father, the devil. Your father is the father of lies. There's no truth in you like your father, the devil. So we see this dividing line that had come up. There was was a a father that even some religious leaders were pushing. That was a brutal father. That was a mean father, which was a hateful father. Uh, He was like, you know... uh, a lot of people go, well, I tell you what, the reason that happened to them is because they disobeyed God. I had a friend of mine, I don't think he meant anything bad by it, but he said, isn't it amazing how America started praying and that hurricane just went right away from America? What do you think anybody was praying in the Bahamas? So God hates the Bahamas, but he loves America. Earthquake happens. It happens in California. That's what those California people get from disobeying God like that. And so if we're not careful, we preach this hateful father, this ugly father, this mean father. But you've got to realize that the, the devil was cast out of heaven. And God's first institution, he came down to earth and the devil could not stand... For God to be in a relationship with man, God reached down in the dirt and he made a vessel out of clay and he poured himself into it and made it a living soul. And all he wanted was there to be a relationship between God and man. When man sinned in the garden, they hid from God, but God said, Where are you at? Why are you hiding from me? They come down and they were naked and God killed a lamb and he clothed them where they wouldn't be naked anymore. If if you've been sold a message that God's a hateful old father, you've got the wrong concept of of God. And the religious people in that day, the Pharisees, they they had a wrong concept of God. If we don't take this story back to that area of the country, the culture, the time period, we will never understand the story of the prodigal son. One of the things is, if someone were to use this saying, the young lady was mad because of the flat. She was mad about the flat. What would you think? You'd probably think that she had a flat tire and she's mad about it. Well, that would be in our culture because that's the only thing we relate to. But actually, if you were over in another country, in, in England or somewhere like that, she would be talking about she's crazy mad about her apartment. She loves her apartment. I used to tell people this little joke type thing that, you know, back in the early years, years and years ago, they had out, people didn't have indoor, you know, facilities to use the bathroom, so they had outhouses So they didn't really want to go outside in the cold and at dark to the outhouse, so they would keep a pot underneath the bed. And they would keep the pot underneath the bed to keep them from having to make a trip in the middle of the night. By the time I came along in the 60s, early 50s or late 50s, 60s, there was another reason people kept pot under the bed. (laughs) And it was not to keep them from taking a trip. It was to help them take a trip. So the time period, the culture, makes a lot of difference in our interpretation about how things happen. I am persuaded after me preaching the prodigal son hundreds of times, probably, in my whole lifetime. Or at least hearing it and preaching it. I I, I got the feeling I had it wrong all along. I got it that the younger son was repentant. And he goes he come to his senses, he was repentant, and he said, I'm going to go back to my father, because in my father's house, you know, he is, I'd be better off in my father's house than I would here. But actually, that's not true. He, I always thought he went back and he asked to be the father's slave. I don't deserve that, you know, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Just let me be one of your douloses, is the Greek word slaves. The younger son really didn't say doulos. He said technon. He he used a different word that meant let me come back and be one of your hired craftsmen. Maybe he's thinking if I came back as a hired craftsman that I could work my debt off. I I could work my debt off. I, I could somehow work myself out of this situation. There's a bunch of stuff that the son did not understand about the father. He he didn't come back just asking to be a slave. He come back asking to be a, a a big shot, really, to be a craftsman that he would be over people and he would make money and so he and then this this he had rehearsed this line and I often wonder where he got it. He said, "For I have sinned against heaven and earth." But as a good Jewish boy, he would have knew where that phrase come from. For that was the very phrase that we find in the Old Testament. When Moses uh, went and told him, Pharaoh, to let my people go. And he wouldn't do it. And all these flags started happening and stuff. And finally, Pharaoh goes, I've sinned against you and against heaven and earth. I've repented. Take away the plagues. But we realize that he didn't really repent. It's just a big... You know, it's easy to talk the talk. is not to walk the walk. He didn't really repent at all. Because about the next morning when he was supposed to let them go, he started letting them go and then he sent his army after them to destroy them. So he didn't really repent. And so I, I really don't know if the younger son really was repented he went back he was wanting to he'd done messed up i think about uh i don't necessarily believe that what happened to the son uh the younger son was punishment from the father the father was at home the father was hoping and praying that one day his son would come home so, I mean, he wasn't in the other land. you ever had somebody, if you ever go anywhere and there's somebody begging, begging, begging? We have people, some used to come by all the time, and especially not as much at this church, but another church as that. They'd come by wanting money from the church all the time. And uh, so we were wanting, are, is this legit? Are they really in a bad shape? Or are, are they just wanting a handout? Or are they just want us to help pay for their next drug, you know? And so we'd say, well, if you'll come in there and vacuum the, you know, vacuum the church, we'll give you some money. Or if you'll go clean up the parking lot. And they would stomp out, I am not doing that. You ever thought that maybe the, the younger son, he was dealing with a, uh, he was off with the Gentiles. And they're going, you know, this, this Jew boy is, uh, he's, you know, he's hanging on to me, sticking to me. So how can I get rid of this Jewish boy? I'll give him the worst job I can possibly think of. He knew that he was not supposed to be around pigs. And so I tell you what, I'll give you some money if you go feed the pigs. He was certain that this Jewish boy would not do that job. It would be so beneath him, but he did. I do believe there's something about being under the umbrella of the favor of God. There's something powerful that when you're not under the favor of God, bad things happen to you. A lot of people think that this story, that this parable, this made-up story that Jesus is telling is actually a remake, a rerun of the story of Jacob and Esau. See, there's a lot of stories about two sons in the Bible. There's Adam and Eve, you know, they were put in this beautiful garden and then they sinned and And then they they were made originally in the image of God, the Father. And they were in his image, and then they failed. And the first thing the enemy did is attack that family, that family unit. He put jealousy, he put uh, hatefulness, unforgiveness in that home. And so what happened really close after their failure? Cain killed Abel. Cain killed Abel. Another story, uh, Esau and and Jacob, there was about an inheritance and and Jacob and Esau and it was after the birthright and finally Jacob gets mad and leaves home. He goes and works for a Gentile guy named Laban and he kind of starts looking at his daughter, I'd like to have your daughter, you know, I mean, what do I have to do to get your daughter? And he said, well, if you'll work seven years for me, I'll give you her hand. Well, then he worked seven years hard on this for this Gentile man. Doing all kind of stuff that was beneath him in, in reality to what God had intended for him. And uh, so then Laman lied to him. The, 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 the devil, the, your, he says, your father, the devil, the father of lies. That's what Laman was representing. That's what happens when we go away from God. We, we start embracing another father, and he's not the father of truth. He's the father of lies. And so he goes and he works for Laban and he works seven years and he goes, well, you know, technically I can't give you my daughter's hand because, see, I, I have to, you know, I didn't know that my first daughter would not be married yet. So n- normally the first daughter has to be married before I can give the hand of the, of the second daughter. So I tell you what, uh, you can have my first daughter. And But he tricked him by when they went into to consummate the marriage into the tent and it was dark and she was all covered up. When he consummated the marriage, he actually had, Been with the wrong daughter. And so he goes, well, you can't give her back now. You've done defiled her and all this stuff, so you're going to have to keep her. If you want the other daughter, you've got to work seven more years. Work 14 years for this Gentile man. And he realized that he was going to be tricked. He was going to be lied to. Everything he ever gained, he was going to lose. And finally, he decided that I'm going to take what I've got, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go back to my father. He makes his way back and he gets to this place of the river. And what was common back then, if you ever disowned or hurt the name of the father, you were disowned. You were rejected. And so I believe that Jacob was feeling that, you know, if he gets there, his father or his brother or the community may kill him for coming back. He had to test the water. He sent. He sent gifts over across the river. He sent, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of animals across as like a peace offering. And then he got down and prayed, and he cried out to God. And he, and, and an angel was sent to him. And he wrestled with this angel, and he said, "I'm not going to let I'm not going to let go until you bless me." And finally, he, went crossed that river, and his brother ran to him and hugged him. Totally different than what he thought, and, and received him. Well, Jacob was later known as Israel, and this was the house of Israel, and these were the Pharisees. The Pharisees, though, they had built this big temple on top of the hill, though, and they, were, they saw themselves as the keepers of the law. They felt they were righteous, they were holy, they were religious. They, they got to a point that, Uh, Women, you're not allowed in the temple. I mean, well, we'll let you stay out here in the outer courts. And children, you're not allowed. You know, we don't. You know, Jesus. Jesus is always running interference for rejected people. They said, uh, "Children, get away from here, children." And Jesus goes and he grabs the children and he puts them on his lap. He said, "Suffer the little children to come to me." So Jesus is running as a mediator between the people and the children. There's another time, there's a woman, she's caught in the act of adultery. To, to be caught in the act, there had to be a man involved, but they bring the woman, and they bring the woman, and you know, they normally uh, they would take her, and they'd put her in a hole there down in a pit, and they would all have stones, and they would stone the woman for disgracing their community, and kill the woman. They thought they was doing the community a great job. And so these Pharisee religious leaders, these people that thought they had it all together, they, they were going to kill the woman. And Jesus run interference between him and the woman. And he said, ye without sin cast the first stone. Now you go back to the reason why Jesus tells these three parables. The reason he tells these three parables is because those same religious people are angry with him because he is hanging out and eating with the sinners of their day. And they said, we don't think you should be hanging out and eating with sinners. See, they were of their father, the devil. They'd say, well, our father said this. And he said, yeah, your father's the devil. You're believing a bunch of lies. And Jesus would say, my father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. And forgive those that trespass against us. He talked about forgiveness. He talked about restoration. He talked about blessings. He was the Father. But over a period of time, the people had got a a wrong vision of the Heavenly Father. They had a a poor vision. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the truth. It was right in front of them. How many knows if it takes the truth to set you free, nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. It don't matter uh, what you wear, what color you are, what party you're associated with. If the truth is the only thing that will set you free, then you've got to have the truth. There's a story about a, 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 a guy, uh, a, a ship owner. He, he had uh, 170 people on his ship. And he leaves England. And before he could get to his destination, a hundred of the people on that boat died. They didn't die because they were on the, with the wrong party. They didn't die because they were on the wrong ship. They were not. They didn't die because you know a, a bunch of. They could have blamed it on God. Well, there's somebody on the ship that's absolutely disobeyed God, and they could have threw some people off the ship like Jonah did. They threw Jonah off the ship, you know, because we're having rough seas. God must be angry. So one of you's got to go overboard and we think that it's Jonah. They cast him over the bo- out of the boat. If a hundred people die on a boat, they're probably blaming everybody. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? The first thing they did was they blamed. To blame other people is to be lame. You know what they found out? The reason the 100 people out of the 170 people died, they didn't have one of these. Scurvy had hit and it was a lack of vitamin C. If they had had some oranges and limes and lemons and they were to take in that vitamin C, they could have lived. It was simple as that. It was that simple. That was the truth right there. All they had to do, they had an insufficiency of this one vitamin, vitamin C. You know what? We can make all kinds of excuses. We can come up with all kinds of theories. But the reason the world is going to hell in a handbasket is because we've got a lack of truth. The Bible said in the last days that they would not endure sound truth. Doctrine, they would not believe the truth. They would believe a lie and be damned. They 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 will not understand. They won't have the right picture of God. And today, most people, anything that bad happens, it's because God is mad. I want to ask you something. Is God mad or is God glad? I believe God is glad. I believe God is good all the time. I don't believe He's He's ever, I don't believe He's angry with us. But you know, man has always wanted, God's always wanted a relationship. God called the people up the mountain, gave Moses, and and God wanted to have a relationship with the people. And when God spoke from heaven, they all ran down off the mountain. They were afraid of God. Why? Because this false father had put these fears into the people that this good father was a bad father, and the bad father was appearing to be the good father. Does that sound familiar today at all? That the devil would come, not as an angel of darkness, the devil would come as an angel of light. There's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of good do-gooders in this world that's doing the work of Satan, the devil. They're calling the truth a lie, and they're calling the lie the truth. We have a lack of truth in this land. God wanted them to come up for relationship. They run down off the mountain because they had been uh, taught to fear God and be afraid of God. and God was out to destroy them. And so they run down off the mountain. And they told Moses, we don't want to be around that father. He, we don't want to be around him anymore. You just go get a bunch of rules and we'll do it. Well, they couldn't keep those rules. Ever since man fell, we've all been a crackpot. We're all flawed crackpots. We are. We are all crackpots. Jesus, he would have probably loved to eat with somebody other than sinners, but everybody on the face of the earth were sinners. The people that done that stuff up there in the temple were sinners. The people that killed lambs and offered them were sinners. All had sinned and come short of the glory of God. There were not any saved people. But the Pharisees thought they were. They thought they were the holy ones, the righteous ones, the good ones. Maybe, maybe some people's wrong concept of our loving Father has kept people away from God. Maybe when people they they fail, they fail. In their lives, they they maybe they lie, maybe they cheat, maybe they maybe they do something wrong, and it it's uh, they're looked down on, it and they feel like I've heard people I didn't invite them to church. Oh, I can't come to church; that roof would cave in on me. No, they won't. If it was going to if it was going to come down on sinners, we'd all be gone. We're only we're all sinners, saved by grace. But the, this warped view of the Heavenly Father had got so far out of hand that the religious people are actually keeping people from God. Where's Roger at? He had, Roger, I want you to just kind of come up this way and then roam back around that away a few times here. I want him to be the, the, the son. The son's thinking about coming home. He, he wants to come home, but... He knows that it won't be good if he comes home because there's going to be people that would despise him, to hate him. They know, they know what he did. They know the failure, he, he, what, he, what all he did. And th- these people back then, they had this, they had this thing. If, if a son disrespected their father, it was serious in the Old Testament. If you sass your father... You didn't mess with your heavenly father. See, he wants to come home, but he's afraid to come home. Because in, back in biblical times, if a son sassed his father, they'd take him to the edge of the city and stone him. Read it in the Old Testament. To sin against one in the city, you sin against all of them. They felt like they were keeping the, they was keeping, uh, the rules. And so they had this thing. Eventually, this prodigal son, he comes, he comes back home. He starts heading this way. And in the story of the prodigal son, we hear this, this story that, uh, Roger, you can come on up right here and stand out right there. This, this, this prodigal son, he comes home, he starts heading home, and there's talk all around town, because there's this, there's this ceremony called the Ketchesol, the Ketchesol. I've done the prodigal son many times. I didn't know about because you have to get back in their culture to understand what's going on. It's that concept: we are family. If one sheep gets lost, we you know we go looking for that one sheep, and when we bring the the whole town rejoices. So we rejoice, and everybody rejoices. But if if the fam, if the if one is hurt in the community, the whole community takes it serious, and the whole community will do something about it. You don't mess with our community. One for all and all for one. It was this attitude of dignity. And and so uh, even in in this this story of the the prodigal son, uh, in the Old Testament, there was something said. In the Old Testament, in this story that they shared a few weeks ago, the, the man that owned the hundred sheep last week, hundred sheep, if you owned hundred sheep back there in that culture, you were rich. If you owned a hundred sheep, you didn't go out there and take care of the sheep. You hired somebody to take care of the sheep. Why would a rich guy be out there taking care of his sheep? A shepherd job was not a very good job. So he would have a hire. But one thing about a hireling, a hireling didn't take. He didn't, if a sheep got lost, it was like, well, I, want you. I kept 99, but one of them got lost. That may be all right for the hireling. You know, a bear was coming, so we ran. He said the the hireling will flee when the enemy comes, but the shepherd won't. God knew that the shepherd... In Ezekiel 34, there was a passage upon which the Lord built the parable of having a field, the unworthy shepherd of Israel. He said, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I myself, I myself, the owner of the field, the owner of the sheep, the, the rich Father God, I myself, I will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeking out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered abroad. So I will seek out my sheep and I will deliver them. I will bring them. I will feed them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. It's remarkable that the story of the hundred sheep, the owner, not the hireling, the owner, went out and looking for that one lost sheep. He found the sheep. He put it on his shoulder. When he came back, it didn't say he put the sheep back in the sheepfold. He took the sheep to his house. He took personal responsibility. The sheep that was astray is now in the owner's house. What did the sheep do to deserve that? Nothing. Why do we think that we have to do something? It's like the man that comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't do anything. Somebody's got to die. And when they die, they write a last will and testament. If you find your name in the testament, something's left to you. My friend, the New Testament, it's the last will and testament of God the Father. The good, good Father. He's left saying that we now have our marriage. We have heaven. He's our good, good father. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's the good father, not the bad father, not the lying father, not the deceiving father. He's the good, good father. He personally come looking for us. In in the Aramaic language back then, it was common and they took out all the blame words. Instead of saying, I lost the coin, you would just say, the coin got lost. Instead of saying like you know you say today like if you didn't get up in time and you you missed your bus ride instead of saying I missed the bus you would say oh the bus left me you always keep yourself clear it may not be the truth but that's the way you say it but the good shepherd took full responsibility for the lost sheep so you don't understand God come to do something that you and I could never do, no matter how many religious organizations you join anyway. God's the only one that could go and save the sheep. He takes full responsibility for the sheep. He finds the wayward sheep. He brings the wayward sheep, puts him in his own house, not out in the field with the other sheep. Are we not getting the picture of a loving father? This father, he was crazy. Crazy. In love with us. This this passage I read this week. I'm going to get to you Roger. Hang in there. (laughs) Jesus came to seek and to save that. Not who. Or not those. But that which was lost. What was the that which was lost? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and 10. Notice that he didn't say seek and save those who were lost. But that which was lost. Jesus was sent by the Father to restore that which was lost while he was accomplishing his task while he walked this earth he was modeling for humanity what our life is to be like as God created us with authority over the creation he said it is finished he bowed his head and gave up the spirit John 19 and 30 the next question is then what is that what is that that was lost humanity lost the awareness of That we are God's beloved children. We lost the fact that we belong to God. We've always belonged to God. We've never not belonged to God. We are His beloved children. Like a good shepherd, He takes full responsibility to come look for the lost sheep. He calls us dearly loved children, children of God, that we have always been one with our Father. And in John 17, he says, God, I gave them the love that you gave me. And you know, now that they got the love that you gave me in them, we will all be one. I heard somebody say this one time, and I, 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 it, it went deep in my heart, and it's always been true. Most parents are as happy as their most unhappy child. If you're a parent, is that not the truth? It's true. You can have five kids and they're all doing great. And you got one kid that's really struggling. Your heart will always go to the level of that hurting child. That hurting child will get most of the attention. It might present jealousy for the other kids. But the father's, the father and mother's heart, it goes out to the child that's hurting the most. In the book of Genesis, Adam lost knowledge of the awareness of how much God loved him. He lost who he was. He were no longer in the image of God. He didn't know who he was and what he was. He was, and this continues down through the generations, we as humanity, for the most part, still do not know who we are. My God, we don't know who we are. God made us male and female. We don't even know that anymore. We don't know nothing anymore. We can't figure out anything anymore. The answer could be as clear as day, but we're not going to accept it because, you know, we can't accept the truth for God's sake. But the truth is the only thing that'll set us free. We have a we have an insufficiency of truth today. And America's going to have to come back to the truth. We can, make up, we can be lame and blame all kind of things for all our failures or we can come back to the truth and get to the truth and we can get straightened out again. Coming back to Christ. But he said here, we as humanity for the most part still do not know who we are and that we are one with the Father and that's the reason Jesus came back to us to restore what Adam had lost between his ears. What did Adam lose between his ears? He lost the knowledge of who we are and our oneness with the father. In John he explains how to experience real life. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Folks, the only way this world's going to be fixed is when we know God. And as religious people, we can't push this bitter ugly looking picture of the Father. Jesus told all these parables for one reason. What was lost What was lost is our oneness, our understanding of God. Humanity has also forgotten that our Father is crazy about us. It's only a crazy Father that leaves 99 sheep and goes after one. It's only a crazy Father. Our Father, Jesus said, here's how our Father, our Father which art in heaven, your Father is the devil but anyway one day this younger son after probably wanting to come home a long time but he knows what could possibly happen to him when he came back home what could happen to him because he disgraced the father he could be put to death there was a ceremony back then called the Keshashal and the Keshashal was the people when a son that had had, uh, dis, uh, had uh, disrespected the father, had, uh, had brought down the family name, had, uh, had, had disgraced their village. The villages were much smaller than you think. And this son came home. They would have been, you know, the father may have heard this racket down in the village there. And he heard it and he said, oh, what's happening? And, and he could see down there his son coming. And the villagers were gathering together. And he noticed some people, they got some stones in their hand. He sees somebody that's got a a clay pot. The Keshachal was a ceremony where if a son, a a son that had disgraced his mother and father and his community and his brothers and sisters, if he started coming home, the father wouldn't have to do it. He wouldn't have to do it. The the town people, just like the whole town, rejoiced when a sheep was found and comes home now the whole town is mad because a son that disowned his father disgraced his family disgraced his community this community wasn't good enough for you so you left and you squandered it and you've been out there living with the Gentiles he comes home they would take and since we were represented as a pot a a clay pot we were formed by the potter and we don't tell the potter what to do but we are formed by the potter we may be pot, but somebody would go and say don't you come back to this village don't you your dad don't want you your dad don't want you and they would take and they would throw the pot down and they would break the pot and they would say you are disowned this is a broken relationship that can never be stored that was what was expected to be told in the story of the prodigal son but instead Jesus tells a different story. He tells about a father that's looking down upon the villagers coming to kill possibly their son or at least disgrace him. Call him names, spit on him, throw stones at him. The father gathers up his garments and it was a disrespectful thing for a father to run and he ran as fast as he could and he ran and he stood between his son and those that would stone him. Those that would... Throw the pot down saying, Your broken relationship, you're no longer wanted here. And the father grabbed his son and hugged his son and said, You're my son that was lost. You're back home. It was so disgraceful for the father to treat this disrespectful son that way. It was a shame. The town was embarrassed at the father's actions they were ashamed for the father the father said come on son it's going to be all right i'm taking you back home we're going to have a party a son that was lost is now found the son had not really repented he quoted an old testament passage of oh, sending him to heaven he hadn't really repented but the bible says So oh, goodness of God leads to repentance. The this, this son, when he saw that in spite of everything he'd done to disgrace the father's name, his father, he could not shake the father's love. He, the father still loved him. I, it, had to, it had to get to that son's heart. It had to break him. Every time in these stories, these parables, it always ends with a party. The good father is trying to tell us something. Don't matter where you've been, how many times you've been lied to by the false father, no matter how many relationships have been destroyed, no matter how many roads you've been down that's been wrong, welcome home. Daddy still loves you. Daddy still loves you. The father used the, 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 the best term possible for the son. The dearest words. He called him his dear son. Roger, you can be seated if you like. I'd like for the worship team to come and get ready. They made pottery back in that day and that time. Anytime a pot was broken... There was a flaw in it. These pots would end up at the edge of the city. And they had this burning pit where everybody burned their garbage right outside the city. And you could see the smoke going up day and night because always in a town like that, somebody had garbage to burn. If you had leprosy, you weren't allowed in the city. If you did, you had to come in groups and you had to yell out in front of you, get out of the way, I'm, I'm diseased, I'm sick, I'm awful. When Jesus healed the leprosy, He actually touched the leprosy, which made, would have made Him unclean, but when He touched Him, He made them clean. They were not allowed in the city. There's stories written about the leopards would sit outside the city, probably looking at the lights, and they were not wanted in the city. And the leopards would take Clay pots that had been broken and threw away. They would take the clay and they would scrub their sores. They looked for these clays to help scrub their sores. That gathering place of the broken vessels, the unwanted, the despised. It's where they killed people at on crosses one day the most despised man in town the worst of the worst barabbas he was set to be on the middle cross cuz he had the most had the most things against him he had sinned and done the worst of all they said well the only recourse you've got you can set one of the prisoners free and then you can have one of the other people sent, they said, Give us Barabbas and put Jesus on the middle cross. Jesus hung on the middle cross, meaning that he was the worst of all the sinners that was being crucified that day. He was the worst of the worst. And I'm sure he hung right over a bro- bunch of broken pottery. He hung right over this pit that was burning with garbage. They normally would take the people off the cross and throw them in the pit for them to burn up. Somebody asked for Jesus' body, the reason he wasn't thrown in the pit. Jesus, once again, is standing in between the mob and he's dying for the broken. I'm telling you, no matter where you've been, what you did wrong, and I'm going to tell you something. If your theology about God the Father looks any different than Jesus, you've got a false religion. If your religion don't include an all-out love for sinners, you've got a false religion. If your religion keeps people that are broken from coming home, you've got a false religion. God is love. He's the good, good father. I'm so glad after so many years of stinking religion that there's some people got it right. We sing one of the most favorite songs in America for a long time was Good, Good Father. I'm glad somebody's painting and showing the right picture of God finally. Let us stand. I know what you went through, what you're going through, There's nothing you've ever done that's too big for God's loving arms. Nothing. And if you're one of these, you're being hard on one of your children, give it up. Love them. Love them. They need your love more when they don't deserve it. One time I brought out that little red chair and I talked about we put kids in time out. One mother said that she'd read the Bible one night and she... She said she wasn't gonna put her, gonna call it the timeout chair no more. She's gonna call it the mercy seat. When her kid done something wrong, she's gonna let the kid go, and she was gonna sit in the timeout seat. I'm taking your I'm taking your punishment for you. God got in the timeout seat, the mercy seat for you and I. If the church will get back to preaching love, we don't need to be preaching politics more than God. You go, why don't you get on politics a whole lot? Because there are some Democrats that need God, and there are some Republicans that need God. And if all the Republicans and the Democrats, neither one of their philosophies is going to save the world. The only thing that's going to save the world is Jesus Christ. We have a vitamin C, a Christ. Uh, We lack Christ. We lack truth. We lack God in our society. Only thing that's going to save us. Yeah, I've got opinions from time to time, it's here and there, but I'm telling you, God is the only answer. And he's a good, good father. Can we bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for everyone here today that their heart is hurting because of a broken relationship. The devil is such a mean devil. He's trying to break up our homes. He's trying to bring separation between us and our kids. He's trying to bring separation between husband and wife. He's trying to bring separation between the races. He is a divider. He's a area. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And the children of the Almighty God, if we're going to model what Jesus modeled, we're not going to have no part of it. We're going to love, and we're going to love those that don't deserve it. And God, I pray today that you would build that heart of love in us in such a powerful way. And God, I ask if there be one here today that don't know you, haven't accepted you as the true good, good father, that today they'll ask Jesus in their heart. I pray that you restore broken relationships today, wherever they might be, in Jesus' name, amen.